Welcome to TalkEerie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. And uh, help us to kind of be a Sherpa. I love saying that. I have to say it like George W. Bush or George H.W. Bush. Sherpa. Uh, to be our Sherpa with reopening and, and navigating the troubled waters of, uh, of, of the legal issues that small businesses face is Adam Williams. He's from Rust Belt Business Law, Williams and Jordan Law Firm. And uh, Adam, great to have you back on the show, sir. Great to be here. All righty. So um, first off, tell us how you, you've been doing uh, during these uh, 15 months, uh, you've, you've really expanded your your firm, haven't you? You're growing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, <laughs> I, I feel like I've been saying people, well, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I feel like I've been saying that for a year now. Yes. Um, I hope we're past the middle at this point. But yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a huge opportunity or it brought huge opportunities for our law firm because we help entrepreneurs, we help business owners. And gosh, if, if they didn't have more questions in the last 15 months than they ever have in our, uh, the lifetime of our business. So yeah, we, we have been very, very busy. Um, we've been hiring like crazy. We've been growing. We've been expanding. We've been finding new ways to help our clients. Uh, and our clients are finding new ways to rely on us, which is actually kind of cool too. So, you know, I, I, I decided um, with this crisis there was a lot of opportunity that came with it. And, you know, if I was looking for, for business advice from someone, I wanted to look to people that were finding ways to pivot and finding ways to adapt and grow their own businesses. And by, by doing that, we found a way to pivot and adapt and, and grow our own business. So it's been, it's been really good for us. Yeah, you you uh, just opened up an office in Pittsburgh and uh, that's gotta be truly exciting. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, when I got out of law school, my first job was in Pittsburgh. And I remember, I remember thinking, man, I'm big time now, you know, you go up to the skyscraper every day, and you, you get lunch at the nice restaurants or the cafeteria or whatever. And I only lasted a year at that job, because, you know, corporate America was not for me, and we moved back to Erie. And it's, it's crazy to look back now, it's been 10, 11 years since then. And now we've got an office there. And I remember, I, you, we missed a lot in the last 10 years. Don't get me right. wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's been great. There's, there's a lot of great stuff going on down there. And if anything, uh, what we learned through the pandemic is we need money from outside of Erie coming into Erie. 100%. Uh, so that's what we're trying to do is go down there and mm -hmm. find some clients, do some work, build some relationships and, and let's create some jobs here. Let's bring some money back into the community. It's, it's just, you know, you might as well be Mark's toys, but, you know, in 20, 2021, right? You know, you're, ma you're manufacturing the service here and you're, and you're exporting it. I appreciate that. That's huge. I wish, I wish there was a more applicable analogy because comparing toys to legal services. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, okay. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to do foundries. I, I, I like the idea of tin toys, right? Anyway, yeah. or the big wheel. Um, all right. So, okay. So I'm thinking, I'm trying to, uh, get into the mindset of that sole proprietor or that small business person who's got a few employees or, or what have you, or a shop or a store or what have you. And you know what? Um, I'm not sure what's worse. Pro I would say that last March is worse than now, 
but this is almost as scary of saying, okay, how then shall I live coming out of the pandemic? So what am I supposed to do? I'm not allowed to ask my employees if they're vaccinated. I don't know what kind of, you know, I don't want to be a source of super spreading, uh, but I also want to get back to the kinds of uh, traffic and numbers that I'm used to, if not do better than that. And so let's start right there. Uh, Do I have reason to be so concerned or should this be a piece of cake? (laughs) (laughs) Let me, let me totally punt on the vaccine question. Okay. Although I want to get back to it. Okay, good. Here's the absolute number one way to assure your failure coming out of the pandemic, whenever that is. Hopefully it's soon, but who knows? Maybe there's another spike and we're locked down again. But absolute number one best way to assure your failure is to assume we're going back to business the way that it was. It ain't happening, Joel. I mean, it's it's crazy that that people expect that. I think what you need to do as a business owner is evaluate every aspect of your business. And I guarantee every piece of your business is going to see long-term changes in some way because of the pandemic. So one area is your employees. Absolutely. You have to be worried about their safety. You, you should be worried and legally have to be worried about their, their privacy. I think, so, so we've got the vaccine issue. We've got um, the, the health issue that goes along with that. We've also got, got massive upward pressure on wages, massive. And we've found new ways to work that didn't exist before. So like, that's it. How employees work, how safe they are and how they get paid is all completely different now because of what's happened in the last 15 months. So we can't assume things are going back the way that they were, but it, it brings a lot of opportunity. It gives us uh, options maybe that we didn't consider before or that we didn't have before. So let's talk about the vaccine thing. And we have to talk about wages at some point during this conversation. Well, yeah, let's stay with you here. Yeah. You know, the, the vaccine thing, it, it's a political issue. It's a hot button issue. I'm far from an expert on it. You've got businesses who won't let people in unless they show the card or if they're wearing the mask. They've got employees they've got to worry about. So we've got, I would draw the analysis to the, like the flu vaccine. You've got businesses that want to require everyone to get the vaccine. And they have good reasons for doing that. The problem is if they take such a black and white yes or no approach, they're going to get themselves into trouble. There are reasons that you can't force employees to get the vaccine. Some of those reasons are good. Some of those reasons are bad. Some of them are made up. Some of them are real. Um, but for example, with the flu vaccine, people would say, I'm not getting this. There's, I have religious reasons. And if you force them to get it, you may be discriminated against them because of their religious beliefs, which is a problem and is, is unlawful. Um, and I think that same analysis applies to the, the COVID vaccine. And, and on top of that, it's become, a, I don't even know if it's a political issue, but definitely a divisive issue. Sure. Um, I guess politics does play into that a little bit, but I mean, I, I'm looking at it for myself. And it's frustrating because I don't know how effective it is. I don't know the data that I can rely on. Um, I don't know if I'm going to have to get a booster shot in, in a few months. And I think that's really frustrating because on an issue where people are so confident, yes, you have to get it. 
honestly, there is a lot of uncertainty that goes along with it, you know? Um, or even if it's not uncertainty, a lot of misinformation, a lot of seemingly reliable information out there. So it's, it's really, really challenging. Um, I, I think, so I think the approach of saying everyone must get vaccinated is likely to get you into trouble. Um, what, what government agencies, for lack of a better term, like to see is at least a conversation happening that if someone says, no, I'm not getting it, you don't fire them, you don't kick them out the door. You have a conversation and you try and understand what's going on. That's, of course, a whole new set of right. issues that could come up about the things that you're talking about. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it very quickly became a very big issue and a lot of businesses weren't equipped to handle that issue, uh, much like they they haven't they weren't able to deal with the flu vaccine, but that's taken years. You know, that's been a slower conversation. This, in the grand scheme of things, is like they just flipped the switch and said, "All right, vaccines are here now. What are you going to do about it?" Yeah. And a lot of businesses haven't been prepared for that. A lot of a lot of people are bringing up like the ADA, the you know that the American uh, Disability Act, and 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 there. I mean, there's a lot when you're running a business. There's a lot of things that you have to always be watching as you navigate that corridor of just operating your business. And so the, the COVID pandemic and, and, and how to run it, it is, it's just, it's just exasperating things. So you've got this vaccine thing on the one hand, then you have the idea that uh, is the, the wage pressure. And so I, I I'm, this is going to sound awful, but some, employers think that they they're going to set a wage and this is what it's going to be and i'm going to get who i get and then they're always complaining that they don't have enough workers on their lines i i don't i don't think there's anything wrong sounding about that or uh, i don't think there's anything offensive about that i think that's reality i think it's unfortunate here here are the things that are like this is the thing that keep that's keeping me up at night it's not a minimum wage discussion. No. I think that's led the charge. I think the threat of $15 an hour minimum wage a few years from now is a big deal. Here's, here's the biggest challenge for small businesses is Amazon can afford to pay a starting wage of 15 bucks an hour. Target can afford a starting wage of 15 bucks an hour. The law office of me Maybe not, because everybody's got to get a, a raise to go along with that. So the small business that's that's barely eking out a profit right now, where the owner is working way too hard, and suddenly they've got to pay higher wages, their, their profits are squeezed even more, how's that going to affect their pricing? This is like pretty sophisticated financial business work that people have to do. And, and unfortunately, a lot of business owners aren't capable of doing it. It's interesting, though, because... I think there's this assumption that I'm going to keep wages where they are and, and there will be enough workers. We're finding that assumption to be false. Other inputs like raw materials, those prices always go up, yeah. right? I mean, nothing gets cheaper. I, I'm exaggerating a bit, but, but most of the things that you input into your business to create things have, have gotten more expensive. Sure. And we've allowed that to happen. But for some reason on the labor side, it's like we just assume... Um, we, we assume it shouldn't be a thing. I, I am actually grateful that the conversation is happening before the requirements from the government, before the minimum wage, because I think that allows people to take some emotion out of it. 
it, it frustrates me when it's forced upon me by the government. But when it, this is really market pressure. You've got employers willing to pay more. And if I don't keep up with that, I'm going to get left behind. Um, so I, I think this is, this is a huge issue. And, you know, inflation will be the byproduct. I, 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 I don't think you can deny that if you really know what you're talking about. Everything's going to have to get more expensive when, when wages go up because everything else has gotten expense, more expensive. Your, all of your inputs, all of your utilities, all of your raw materials, your real estate, um, everything but debt has gotten more expensive. Um, so yeah, it's, you're going to have to raise the prices. And this is, this is going to be a really interesting game to see businesses play because who's going to move first? Who's going to raise the prices first? Is it going to happen slowly over time or are they going to flip the switch on it? And, and again, to get back to the small business versus big business thing, I think most small businesses grossly underprice their goods and services. Uh, I don't think they build in enough profit to survive to begin with. And then this is getting thrown on top of it. So I'm really worried. And, and like, this is not legal advice, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is this trying is to Adam, survive advice. Yes. My, my business does better when my clients' businesses do better. Sure. And these are the things that are keeping me up at night. I got, I got to ask you one more question before we go to the break, because that might work on a widget, you know, physical plant. We're manufacturing something, but sometimes with services, especially those that are dictated by government reimbursements. I, I would imagine you have a couple, uh, you know, organizations that are clients that are in that are in direct care or in, you know, some kind of service based business. Uh, there is no, you know, the government's not upping their reimbursements or, you know, there's only a, a willing buyer of, of, let's say, home health care or something like that. There, there, there's a market number for that. And mm -hmm. so do, do those people just end up going, bringing their margins so close to the edge just to kind of eke it out until it shakes out or reimbursements increase? What, what do you think about all that on the service That's side? That's a great question. I got, a, I got a call last week from one of our biggest clients that actually, it's actually in that situation. Yeah. And yes, they'll get an increase to the rates a couple of years from now. Um, and they, this is a battle that they've had for years. Now there's a lot of pressure on it. So this is where we need to start getting creative that if you can't just go out and raise your prices, even a little bit, um, you have to find a way to, to operate with lower costs. So fortunately, if you can find ways to have, I don't, I don't like the phrase remote workforce, but a, a distributed workforce, meaning not consolidated in really expensive real estate. I think if you haven't already, you find ways to finance this with the extremely low interest rates that exist right now. And those interest rates are even better when you consider all the inflation that's going to happen. That is like the perfect hedge to inflation. Um, so I, I think you have to get creative. I think you have to think outside the box and Let's go back to what I said at the beginning, reevaluating every aspect of your business. Maybe you start need, needing to, to spend more time thinking through exactly what you do and how you provide it and for whom you provide it. You might need to reevaluate that as we exit and as we get back to business. Adam Williams is our guest, uh, Rust Belt Business Law. All right, Adam, let's uh, let's talk through some lawyer stuff right now. Uh, so... Okay, I've got this great idea. I want to start a business, but I don't know about business structure. And sometimes I'm already in a business. I'm already like gigging stuff, 
but I'm, it's just me, and I'm doing my gig. At some point, I should put some uh, some meat on the bones, shouldn't I? Probably, yeah. So, so let's let's not limit it. When you start a business, there's a lot of things that you don't know, not just the legal stuff. Okay, right? yeah. So, so we, I mean, our, our practice has focused on this for the past ten or eleven years. Like most of our clients are new and starting and growing. Most of our clients are not bigger, sophisticated companies, although we've got plenty of those too. And what happened, what, what we learned over time was people would come to us and say, I want to have an LLC set up. We'd say, great, we'd set up the LLC, we'd send them on their way, good luck. And we realized that that was actually doing a huge disservice to them. And I hope there's a bunch of other law firms that are listening to this right now. We realized that there isn't a, there are a few resources available to help people start and grow their businesses, but none that did enough handholding for most people. And, and I don't mean handholding in a, in a uh, like condescending way. It's just, you don't know how to do this. We know how to do it. So we'll, you're Sherpa, right? That's we'll you're use Sherpa. your work, right? Yeah. We don't, we don't know the, an- the questions to ask. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, what we found was, yeah, we'll have the conversation about the LLC and, and guess what? We're probably going to talk about hiring and firing employees the right way or independent contractors. And we should talk about that contract that you want to download off the internet and ruin your life with. But we also need to talk about insurance and we need to talk about accounting and bookkeeping. And we need to talk about honestly branding and marketing and, and, and the legal things that go along with that too. So that we learned that there was so much more that people wanted and needed help with other than just the one legal thing they came to us for. And that's actually been a huge reason that our firm has grown so much is suddenly we're providing a, a broader range of service, a much higher level of service. And again, the better our clients do, the better we do. So we're setting them up for success and we're helping them get a, a better foundation in place. So it's, it's, it was really great sort of when I had that epiphany of, oh my gosh, there's so much more that we could be doing for people. We, we changed the way that we provided services, frankly, um, and the arrangement that's, that we had. And it's, it's really worked out really well for the, the clients that are in that program. It's interesting. I, I'm thinking about the different things that uh, that we've sought advice for. And it is like the, you know, some of the stuff, uh, uh, you know, insurance may not be a big deal to us, but the brave new world of the internet has been a huge uh, source of acita. Uh, I'll use the Italian word. I mean, heartburn uh, for, for, you know, yep. and, and I, I would imagine that many, you know, mature organizations are, are having to enter this brave new world of, of uh, you know, hiring uh, people on Indeed and or, or I, I'm thinking about all of these different things that the that the Internet has brought that has been wonderful and just exhausting. Do, do you ever notice that you you'll get for about a week every few months, you'll get pop ups and notifications on every single website you go to? They're changing their terms of service. They're changing their privacy policy. And it's because some law changes somewhere and Google and Facebook and your bank and every website you use realizes, oh crap, we got to change this. And they go and roll out a new, a new terms of service or a new privacy policy. So yeah, there's, there's really two sides to, to being a lawyer for businesses. One side is we're going to help you avoid the problems, right? With your contracts, with your partnership agreements, with your trademarks. And then the other part of what we do is helping you get out of the problems that you've gotten into knowingly or unknowingly, right? Um, and that's 
that's challenging because people get really frustrated that they don't think they did anything wrong. They've got completely innocent intentions. And then they get a nasty letter from someone saying, you violated our trademark or our copyright, or your website is not accessible, or, you know, take your pick. Or, or the, the interesting one, how about this, this, uh, the gas line that was subject, yes. that was held hostage, right? Oh, the ransomware, yeah. That happens to small businesses all the time, oh, except it's not $5 million, right. it's twenty-five dollars or $50,000. And fortunately, there's insurance for that, but most businesses don't have it. It's interesting because there is honor among thieves. And usually when that ransom gets paid, they give you your, your stuff back. They give you access to your computer again. But imagine the impact if you're not, if you're reacting to something like that, it's, it's really big. Do you ever, that, do you ever give the talk to the, the CEO saying, Hey, uh, do you know where your off offline backups are? I, I, mean, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, do you ever kind of give some tough love? We have to, we have to, because we we're protecting them, right? And so we, we go through it with, with businesses that are operating, we can go through an entire diagnostic with them. So much like preventing problems or pr fixing problems after they arrive, it's like the doctor. You go in for your annual checkup, he hits your knee with the hammer and checks your heart rate. We do the exact same thing. So how, how updated are your contracts or is anything expiring? Are you, are, do you have any problem employees? I want to talk about pandemic stimulus, Adam, because honestly, I, I wonder if everybody knows what to do, you know, on their tax returns when they when they do their what is it? What is a, a corporate tax? Is it's not a nine ninety? I can't remember which which form it is. Yeah, it could be an eleven twenty or your Schedule yeah. C. Yeah, a bunch yeah. of different things. Yeah. So what 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 do they do if they got like if they got a Kathy Dahlkemper check for twenty five hundred bucks? <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what you don't do. And it's interesting because tax day is like today. Yes. You don't wait until today to figure it out. Uh, uh, yeah. So many individuals and businesses last year had such significant changes to their income or down and they weren't proactive about it. They didn't plan in advance. Um, you know, we, we adjusted our withholdings from my wife works for our firm. So our, our paychecks that we got, we adjusted and, you know, we're not, I don't like getting a big refund. Not that that ever happens, but that means we overpaid. And I don't like having to write a big check because that just doesn't feel good. So I, I think a lot of people are way too reactive with their taxes and they should be more strategic. They should be more, more proactive. They should do more planning. So start the conversation now about next year's taxes. Start, start planning through that. But there's some good news <laughs> because the, a lot of this is really a, a cash flow game. And the government has created a lot of opportunities to get a lot of money. So we're all familiar with the stimulus checks and we're hearing more about the child tax credit that they're gonna start writing checks for here coming up. And if you have student loans, your, your payments have been deferred. I mean, there, there's some really well publicized things that affect a lot, of, a lot of individuals. And then there are the business incentives and some of them are popular and well-known and some of them aren't. And that, this is one of the areas where we have found a ton of opportunities to help businesses across the country. So the big one at, at the beginning of the pandemic were these PPP loans, the Payroll Protection Program. We've now been through round, two rounds of that. The second round is, is essentially out of money. There's some community financial institutions that I think still have some, but for all intents and purposes, all of that money's gone. I, I think half of the, and these were forgivable loans, right? Right, yeah. I think from round one, half of them have been forgiven, which means half of these businesses are still trying to figure out that process because oh. it's a nightmare. 
And then with round two, the qualifications were a little more challenging. Uh, and I, I don't think anybody's even applying for forgiveness on that yet. So that's been a big opportunity that if you have employees and you've maintained your employees, uh, that's a good, good chance for some free money. Although that ship is, is basically sailed if you didn't get your loan already. But we're finding that a lot of people <laughs> made mistakes at every turn. Did they? One of our early clients said, here's my application. Look at it before I send it to the bank. He left $50,000 on the table. Wow. So, hey, we got him an extra 50 grand. That was, that was a good day to be a lawyer. Yeah. Even with round two, clients that we worked with, easy ones, a restaurant. He was off by $5,000 on uh, like requesting the loan. And this, this could be free money if you do it right. right. So, you know, if the, if the application initially got that messed up, these forgiveness applications are a nightmare. There's three different ones that there's, they, they're, they're deceptively simple because they're like two pages, but there's so much documentation you have to produce so much documentation you have to keep for six years. Wow. Your bank's going to look at it. The SBA is going to look at it. There's going to be audits. So, but it's not all bad news. That's been, that's been a lot of free money, essentially, for people that do it right. We're hearing less about that now, other than helping people with forgiveness on it. The other one that was, that's been confusing, but again, free money, is this EIDL program. It's a disaster loan. It's EIDL, Economic Injury Disaster Loan. Okay. It's, it's existed for 50 or 60 years. If there was a fire or a flood or an earthquake, the SBA would swoop in and give you some free or ch very cheap money. They changed it for the pandemic. Every business in the country could apply for it. Didn't matter their geographic location. That was a change. And they also added this idle advance. So it was up to $10,000. And, and what ended up happening is they would give you a check basically for $1,000 per employee up to 10 grand. And that was free money. It was yours. They've changed that recently. And if you didn't get the full 10 grand, they're following up and saying, would you like the rest of this? So people are getting emails saying, hey, you got $2,000 last year. You want the other eight now? So Good if Lord. you see those emails, don't ignore them. And then the loan, the loan itself, we talked about inflation earlier. This loan can be a really big opportunity. You could borrow up to $150,000 at 3.75% interest over 30 years. Like that's better than most people's mortgages. Yeah. And, and we saw businesses getting this loan. They would get a hundred or $150,000. The businesses only made $30,000 a year. So there's a huge cash influx. Again, recent changes, because this program has been a lot around since last April, or at least for the, the COVID-19 pandemic. Now you can borrow up to a half a million dollars, $500,000. And again, the SBA just sends you an email and says, hey, you borrowed whatever, 150,000 in round one. Would you like to increase this? This program, there's pitfalls. It's a minefield. There's a million things you can screw up. I signed my loan documents in the Tim Hortons drive-through. Like it was so easy to get, to get this money a year ago. We're finding a lot of businesses just put it in a bank account and haven't touched it because they don't know what to do, uh, which is horrible. Um, it's accruing interest that you could be using it to save your business, to grow your business. So we're, we're dealing with the idle program a lot right now because people are calling and saying, um, I think I was just offered half a million dollars. What do I do with it? <laughs> um, wow. Which hey, we can help. Yeah. And it's not all on legal fees. So that's been a really great program. That's not free money, but it's super cheap. Sure. And honestly, with the with the way inflation is going to go, three point seven five percent interest is is a screaming deal. 
the other two programs that we're having a ton of fun with, and these are a little lesser known. One is the employee retention credit. This was created as part of the CARES Act last April, but you couldn't get both the tax credit and the PPP loan, and then that changed. Wow. And this program, we, we had a, a relatively new restaurant reach out to us about this. We got a, a ton of clients. We're, I mean, this is going to be millions of dollars. We had a, a smaller restaurant reach out to us. They didn't qualify for the PPP because they didn't exist. They weren't around long enough. We found them $45,000 for this employment tax credit. And it's a refundable credit. So the government writes you a check. So huge, huge opportunity there. It's new and it's scary and it's intimidating. So we're finding a lot of accountants don't want to deal with it. We're finding payroll companies are asking their clients to sign waivers saying, we didn't even tell you about this program. So we, we jumped in head first on that because it requires some, some legal interpretation, um, but it's, not, it's nothing overly aggressive. And the qualification, there's two ways to qualify. One is if you had a, a big reduction in revenue. The other is if your business was subject to government shutdowns, which guess what? A lot of businesses have been, right? Yeah. Wow. So we, we had one of our first clients on this. This is where we realized the opportunity. Talking to a friend of mine, big business in Miami. And he said, yeah, my, my accountant told me I wouldn't qualify. I said, I, I think you might. So we did the analysis, crunched some numbers, did a little research. $1.3 million oh later, wow. he qualifies for the program. And it's, this isn't some crazy tax shelter. This isn't anything really aggressive. It's just you have to understand how this law works and you have to get good advice and, and make sure your calculation is done properly. So the employer retention credit has been huge. Any business impacted by the pandemic. I don't want to be too salesy, but we'll do an evaluation for free and tell you, we'll tell you if we think you qualify or not. That, so it seems like Adam, what you're talking about here is, uh, is, uh, kind of a, a new level, uh, of advice from your lawyer. That's what you're really advocating is how let, let the, let the law firm be a partner in strategic strategic uh you know uh decision making for Let, the big stuff not just you know d does all the the fine print look good to you let's yeah let's let's take that single business owner right they they own their corporation they own their llc maybe they've got a few employees they they are up at night worrying about a lot of different things and the best thing that they can do is get trusted advisors lawyers, accountants, tax strategists, insurance people, realtors, business mentors. I mean, take your pick. And, and we've decided that we are going to fill that role in, on the legal side. And you, you, listen, it's hard enough to run and grow your business. Focus on that and we'll make sure that everything else is under control. But we're going to be standing up in the, in the, you know, the captain's quarters with you, yeah. scanning the horizon, seeing what's out there. So yeah, it, it I mean, you're getting into my business philosophy a little bit. But well, I love it though. There's, there's two ways to grow a business. You can find more clients or you can help the clients you have in even deeper ways, right? Makes and sense. We, we've, we've had a great combination of both of those things. I got to ask you about landlords. I would imagine you have a few people that own some real estate <laughs> and the whole thing with the pandemic and uh, what, you know, you can't, you can't uh, evict anybody and some people are not paying their rent. Uh, and again, most landlords that I know really want to do well. They want to have quality buildings, you know, available for rent to, to build their clientele. 
What are they going through these days? So this has been a sore subject. I, I'm, the, I'm our, sorry. Our law firm, no, not for me. <laughs> I'm the solicitor for the Apartment Association in Northwest Pennsylvania. So it's, I don't even know, 1,300 or 1,500 members have a relationship with our firm. We were all over this thing, and it was a nightmare. And I'll tell you the biggest reason why. There was so much bad advice on the internet that people believed. They just thought, I can't evict, period. And that wasn't true. There were ways to, with a few exceptions last summer, there were ways to proceed with the eviction process. And admittedly, some judges had it wrong. Some lawyers had it wrong. Most, a lot of tenants had it wrong and a lot of landlords had it wrong. So we were trying to explain to people that they weren't interpreting this stuff correctly. And that, that's really been a shame because most landlords are not these, they're not sitting on their yacht sipping cocktails every day, watching the rent checks roll in. Most landlords are the mom and pop who thought, hey, if we, if we buy a duplex, this is gonna supplement our retirement. And now they're stuck with two mortgages because the tenants aren't pay paying and they don't bother to kick the tenants out. So that, that has really been problematic. There are programs to help with that. Uh, there's some CARES Act money. I think it's our local health department that's even helping with some of it now. We actually haven't had to deal with that a ton because the program has worked for the most okay. part. The lawyers haven't had to get involved, but we've we've found that the landlords, when they when they reach out about these programs, are able to get at least some payment from the government. Or if they call us, we can find a way to evict these tenants. Although that's that is that's sort of getting back to normal now. But yeah, that's that's had a really unfortunate uh, impact. I think most banks have been understanding uh, that if a landlord can't make a payment. But there's so many other players involved there, the utilities and the maintenance and the upkeep. And, and, you know, most these landlords, most of them struggled and they struggled a lot. And it really affected their lives and their families, not to minimize the impact on tenants sure. of the pandemic. Right. But this is just one more financial stressor that tenants got away with it and landlords didn't. And it was it was really unfortunate. I, I we've got about uh, six seven minutes left with Adam Williams from Rust Belt Business Law. I got to ask you about some of those some of those things that are sometimes we just totally forget or we don't do enough of. So, for example, like protecting my intellectual property. Um, I, you know, again, you, we we mentioned about where you know the the pitfalls of encroaching on somebody else's intellectual property, unbeknownst to 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 your clients. But what about when you have stuff? What about your your stuff that you're trying to protect? So this is this is interesting because if you own if you have a name brand or a logo or a slogan or a business name, take your pick. Even even certain products, you're finding a lot less uh, sophisticated people getting into business. They've used the pandemic as an opportunity to launch that side gig, launch that side hustle. And they'll go out not even realizing and infringe on your trademark, whether it's registered or not, right? They'll steal your business name unknowingly. Wow. So I think it's really important for business owners to keep an eye on those things. Google yourself every now and then, you know, pay attention to social media, pay attention to the other things that are happening. I just saw this. This was not a client of ours, but I, I felt horrible for this woman. We bought some art a few years ago in Florida from like this, this farmer's market. And I followed the girl on Instagram. She just found out that her paintings dead matches five or six of them were painted as murals in a zoo somewhere 
Oh my goodness. Like, straight up copies. And it's really cute art. There's animals and little kids and we, we put it in our daughter's room. And, and she found that and was complaining on Instagram. And I wanted her to jump in and say, we'll help you. Like, but you know, lawyers and that felt like ambulance chasing, but I feel really bad for her. Yeah. And, and we're seeing that a lot now. I think that was on purpose. That was a blatant copy, but right. if you've got a business name, you know, one of the things that people in Erie love to do is incorporate the word Erie into their business. Name. Like talk Erie. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's an easy one. But, yeah. um, you're, you're seeing that a lot. So, you know, I think there's, I think it's something that people need to stay on top of. They need to monitor again, one more thing to you for you to worry about during the day as a business owner or find someone that, that would be willing to, to stay on top of that for you. How about, uh, how about going, uh, short on insurance? Do you feel like some of your guys, your clients are, um, are not buying enough, uh, you know, errors and emissions or, you know, some of the, some of the general liability insurance. Yeah. If, if business problem, number one is you're underpricing your goods and services. Problem number two is you're underinsured. Wow. We, and it's, it's, I'm unbiased. I hate the concept of insurance, right? I'm not an insurance salesman. I don't get any commissions, although I should, <laughs> but <laughs> It's, it's a big issue. Let's, let's take something that anybody can understand because this isn't wildly expensive. If you, when I started my law firm, I did all of the legal work. And if I got sick, I didn't make any money. In fact, I lost money because I still had to pay rent. I still had to pay some employees, things like that. Imagine if I got sick for a while, you know, and I was really disabled. Disability insurance is cheap. It can continue to pay your bills and if your business relies on you, you need to have something like that in place. Otherwise, you're not going to be around very long. Um, we were fortunate recently, you know, my dad got sick and we were able to go to Florida for a period of time. There was no insurance involved, but we, we built a business that, that allows us to do this. Um, but disability insurance, general liability insurance, cyber crimes insurance, we're seeing, oh my gosh, that's, that's a big one. So yeah, as, as the more risks there are to businesses, the more insurance products there are that, that you can get. Um, employee practices, liability insurance. Oh my goodness. We, you know, as we get back in, as we worry about things like the vaccines and employee safety and discrimination, you're going to be dealing with the EEOC a lot. That's, that's the federal agency. You're going to be dealing with the equivalent state agency. There are insurance policies to help. Otherwise you're going to be cutting a $10,000 check to a lawyer pretty quickly in these things. Jeez. So yeah, a lot of businesses are really under underinsured, and and they they don't work with a competent insurance advisor who can tell them what they need and don't need and how much of it they need. Well, what do you do in that? That's what my next question was going to be. What if your your broker is just not up on all the latest uh, lines? So I'll I'll give you an example with our business. We're growing like crazy. So not only is the world changing out there, but we have twice the employees that we had. Our, our yeah. revenue is, is it may triple this year with some of these things that we have going on. My insurance guy follows up with me, just, just like my tax strategist does. How are things looking? How's the growth going? What new risks do you have? You, your disability insurance is no longer enough to cover your expenses if you get hit by a car. Um, if, you're, if your insurance person is not advising you on that, I think you should probably have a conversation with that person or or find a new one, but they've got to be proactive. They've got to be on your side. Like I said, they've got to be scanning the horizon with you looking for those risks. That's, that's their job. 
Last minute with uh, Adam Williams from Rust Belt Business Law. Ra- wrap it up with a bow here. Uh, again, these these are not thing these are not challenges that we should you know cower in a fetal position about. But we've got to face them and not ignore them, right, Adam? Yeah, it, you don't ignore it. You don't get frustrated by it. This is this is some woo woo mindset stuff. But look for the opportunities, and and the easiest opportunities it, that you can find are how can I help. So as things get back to normal, quote unquote, as we emerge from the cave that we've been in, how can you help people, your employees, your clients or customers, your suppliers? If you look for ways to help, you'll find the opportunities and your path forward will be pretty clear. Beautiful. Adam Williams, Rust Belt Business Law, RustBeltLegal.com. Thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Joel. You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com.